Welcome again to the Business of Kush, the cannabis business podcast where your host, Chip Schweiger, the Greenleaf CPA, and his guests talk about all the business side of the cannabis industry, including accounting, finance, investing, and news of the day. If you're a cannabis business owner, investor, or industry insider looking for the dopest tips to make more money, improve profits, and increase the value of your cannabis business, you're in the right place. And now, here's your host, Chip Schweiger. Hi, folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Business of Kush, the podcast where you get one actionable tip each and every week to increase the value of your cannabis business. For our regular listeners and subscribers, welcome back. So great to have you here again this week. And if you are a new listener, a very warm welcome to what in a short time has really become one of the top cannabis business podcasts. So if you found yourself here for the first time, you're in good company. Once again, I'm your host, Chip Schweiger, the Greenleaf CPA. And if you've listened before, you know that I'm that guy who's made it his mission to see you and your cannabis business grow. Each week, our goal is to support you by bringing 28 years of experience in public accounting and corporate finance to you, the cannabis entrepreneur. So I created this podcast with you in mind, and we set out to bring tips and tricks to make more money or build a more successful cannabis business. We also do our best to support the continued federal legalization of cannabis in every state and for every adult. And speaking of that, Senator Cory Booker says that he's open to compromises on marijuana reform, including the possibility that the Senate pass modest cannabis banking legislation with social equity components before advancing a wide-ranging legalization bill that he introduced last month. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more and what it could mean for safe banking. But first, when you first started your cannabis business, you were probably doing just about everything, right? You were opening and closing your dispensary or you're contracting with electricians to rewire your processing facility. As your company grows, though, it gets harder and harder to be involved in every aspect of your business. So you decide it's time to start delegating tasks and duties to your staff. And if that's where you are, how's it going? How are you as a delegator? And by that, I mean, how well do you actually delegate? If you're like most business owners, cannabis or mainstream, you probably give yourself a decent grade. However, if you're constantly finding yourself disappointed in people on your team, the problem may be less about them and more about your ability to delegate effectively. For example, do any of these delegation styles sound familiar? The hot potato delegator tires of a project or a task and quickly tosses the activity to an employee to handle. Like a hot potato, you touch the problem briefly and then pass it on to someone else quickly without much thought. The problem is the person you're giving the project to may not be clear on what you want them to do, which means the potato often falls back into your lap. There's another one called the delegation hippie. And the delegation hippie is inspired by the free love and spirit of the 1960s that believed in communal living and really where there were no rules and everybody was treated equally. It was the birthplace of the modern cannabis marijuana movement. The delegation hippie, though, asks a subordinate to handle tasks but fails to provide clear lines of authority and control. So the employee is left wondering if they need to check in with the boss before deciding on a course or if they're unclear about the budget they have been given to work with. There's another type of delegator, which we'll call the false delegator. So the false delegator 
is the person who asks an employee to help with a project. The employee is left with the impression that they are given broad decision-making authority to complete the project, while the manager actually wants to be kept abreast of the possible solutions her employee is considering and wants to retain the final decision-making authority. The employee decides on a course of action without the consent of their manager and problems arise. Now, before we get into how to delegate effectively, let's start with a quick summary of why delegation is a critical skill for any business owner. Being able to delegate well means your company can thrive without you personally overseeing the details. And this freedom allows your company to grow without you as a bottleneck, while the quality of your work life improves as you no longer have to spend your time fighting fires and answering mundane questions. Best of all, your company is worth more. Delegation is clearly important. So why do so many small business owners fail to delegate tasks effectively? The problem comes down to thinking of delegation in black and white terms. Instead of thinking of delegation as binary, think of delegation as having four degrees, where each of the degrees offers your employee more decision-making autonomy and authority. So the first degree of delegation is where you trust an employee to follow your instructions. And we'll call this the follow my lead. You create a standard operating procedure and you ask that they follow the steps you outline in your instructions. With first degree delegation, your employee must follow your process. They're not being given any decision making authority and you're not accommodating many variables. This kind of delegation is suitable for common tasks where you're clear on what you want done and how you want someone to do it. For example, you may delegate the task of entering a new contact into your company's CRM platform. There is a specific way you want it done, and there is little need for your employee really to think independently or critically about the task. This kind of delegation is ideal for simple tasks carried out by relatively junior employees when you have provided them with your SOP to follow. The second degree of delegation involves giving an employee a broader scope of responsibility to research the range of options for completing a project or task. And we'll call this one the research and report degree. So under this, you're trusting an employee to do their own analysis and bring you a short list of options to consider. Importantly, with second degree delegation, the decision on which course of action to take remains with you. You don't have the solution in your mind, so you'd like your employee to do some thinking and come back to you with some options. This kind of delegation is ideal when you don't have the answer to a specific challenge and you'd like to see a breadth of possible options. There are usually high-stake decisions that could have a negative impact on you and therefore you want to stay involved and make the final decision. Now, there is some critical thinking required with this second degree of delegation, so it's important that your employee has a good intuition for weighing options and some common sense. For example, you may ask an employee to do some research into flight options for traveling to a city. In this case, you don't want your employee to give you a laundry list of dozens of options. You would prefer that they come up with three or four intelligent options for you to consider. Since you'll be the one sitting on an airplane terminal waiting for a connection, if your employee makes the wrong judgment call, you'd like to actually make the final decision. So the third degree of delegation involves extending decision-making authority to employee. And so we'll call this one the do it and report it degree of delegation. 
You trust your employee to make a decision, but you also like to be kept in the loop to coach your employee if you start to question their decision making. And this kind of delegation makes sense when you have provided your employees with their standard operating procedures and you trust your employees to think like an owner. It also helps if the stakes of a bad decision are relatively low. For example, you may delegate the process of collecting receivables to someone on your team while asking them to keep you in the loop with their progress so that you have an early warning if the process starts to wander off track. The fourth degree of delegation takes a page out of the old Nike advertising campaign, which implored their customers to, quote, just do it. And so we'll call this degree of delegation the do it phase. This level of delegation is used when you trust an employee to completely remove something from your plate. It's best used when you have provided all your employees with a very good standard operating procedure for completing a task and the impacts of a bad decision are relatively manageable. It can also be appropriate to use the fourth degree of delegation if a task is something you know little about and would be better handled by someone who is a little bit more knowledgeable. Now, let's imagine you need to hire a carpet cleaning company. You know nothing about carpet cleaning, and the downside of picking the wrong cleaner is manageable. So, therefore, you may choose to assign the task to a subordinate using the fourth degree of delegation. As you can see from our four degrees, each type of delegation is different and extends more or less authority to your subordinates depending on the degree. In addition to defining the degree of delegation, you also want to consider whether a time or monetary budget is required. For example, at the Ritz-Carlton hotel chain, each employee, regardless of level, is actually given a $2,000 budget to fix a guest problem. So Ritz-Carlton is using the fourth degree of delegation here, the do-it phase, and empowering staff at all levels to make a guest problem go away, provided it can be done for less than $2,000. Each employee at Ritz-Carlton knows that they have decision-making authority to act up to a specific spending threshold. For example, if a bellhop damages a piece of luggage, they know that they can and are expected to replace the piece of luggage, provided they can do so for less than $2,000. Now, you may think that the $2,000 rule is overly generous, but your average Ritz-Carlton customer spends more than $250,000 with the chain in their lifetime. So a $2,000 budget is a reasonable investment to keep a quarter-million-dollar customer happy. Like a financial budget, you may also consider providing a time budget with each degree of delegation. For example, you may ask an employee to invest up to 10 hours researching options for a new shipping process for your company and to report back with their recommendations. The employee knows that their job is to research some possibilities and report back to you, which is a second degree of delegation, and that you're comfortable with them investing roughly a quarter of a typical work week on that project. With a 10-hour budget, your employee knows that an exhaustive analyst taking months is too much time to invest, and a cursory internet search is too superficial. A time budget gives your employee a sense of how important the task is to you and how comprehensive they need to be in exploring options. And I guess the moral of the story is that if you pick an appropriate degree of delegation, if you create a standard operating procedure and outline a time or financial budget for your employees, many of your projects and tasks can be successfully delegated. 
Despite your rigor in assigning a task, employees may still get stuck, though, and need clear guidance from you on what to do when they hit a roadblock. And this is where the yesable question comes in handy. So this is actually pretty cool. Tell your employees that when they have a problem, they need to resist the urge to just deposit their problem into your lap. Instead, they must research two or three possible solutions to their problem and present their recommendation in a question that you can simply respond to with a yes or no. For example, let's imagine you decide to delegate the task of collecting your company's receivables. Yeah, you've chosen the first degree of delegation and you provided your employee with a standard operating procedure and an allotment of time to get it done. Despite following the process, though, the employee gets stuck when a customer refuses to pay. Now, in the old days, your employee would likely come to you and deposit the problem in your lap and say something along the lines of XYZ won't pay. What should we do? Now, they have neatly transferred the problem from their lap to yours. Now, a better solution is to make yourself available to employees with questions, but insist that they pose them in a format that allows you to say yes or no. So now when XYZ says that they won't pay, your employee is forced to consider some options. She would likely conclude that one option is to write the customer off. Another option would be to send them to collections, and maybe a third option would be to propose a payment plan. After weighing the three options, you simply ask your employee to come to you and explain the options she has considered and pose a simple question that you can say yes or no to. So it might sound something like this. She'll say, XYZ won't pay. I've considered writing off the account, sending them to collections, or offering a payment plan. Now, if we write them off, we're out the money. A collection agency may get the money, but we'll never do business with XYZ again. Therefore, I think the payment plan is the best option. Are you okay if we divide the amount that they owe into three installments and get them to pay over time? And you can simply answer yes or no. You can also see the rigor of their thinking and understand the other options your employee has considered. Best of all, your employee starts to act like an owner. If your goal is to build a business that can thrive without you, you need to master the art of delegation. Start by assigning a degree of autonomy you want your employee to have, and then outline a time-based or financial budget to work within. Finally, encourage employees who do get stuck to come to you with questions that you can simply answer yes or no to, and you'll find that the number of problems that end up in your lap will seriously diminish. All the while, you'll be building a more enjoyable and a more valuable business. And if you want to discuss any of this further, just drop me a note at chip at thegreenleafcpa.com and we'll help you sort through it. Okay, let's get to our last segment, and that's the one that we call News of the Day. News of the Day. Okay, just one news article this week because, well, last week was a big week for news in our industry. Our article this week comes from Marijuana Moment, and the headline reads, Booker says he's open to compromises such as passing marijuana banking with equity provisions despite filing what has been called the gold standard legalization bill. So Senator Cory Booker, who's a Democrat from New Jersey, says that he's, quote, open to compromises on marijuana reform, including the possibility that the Senate passes modest cannabis banking legislation with social equity components. 
So in an interview published by the New Jersey Spotlight News on last Friday, the senator was asked whether he could see a path forward for more incremental marijuana policy reform, as he signaled when he was considering a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing last week that he actually convened as the chairman. So Booker has faced criticism from some advocates and stakeholders over his prior opposition to moving anything in the Senate before comprehensive legalization was enacted. Booker said that the new Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, the CAOA, that we talked about last week and that he filed alongside Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Finance Chairman Ron Wyden, is the, quote, gold standard bill for federal marijuana reform. But that doesn't mean he's unwilling to take a more dialed back approach to the issue. So his quote was that I'm, quote, open to compromises that are going to achieve my goals of safety, of investment opportunities that are equal for business communities, and finally to make sure that we actually do something for all these people right now who have marijuana possession charges that deserve some real relief from the impact that it's having on their economic and family well-being. So when the reporter asked Booker specifically whether that meant he'd be open to advancing a bipartisan safe banking act, which would provide protections for financial institutions that work with state legal cannabis businesses, Booker said that safe banking is actually, quote, very important legislation and that he's, quote, a supporter of that. However, he also said he wants the bill to be balanced with having restorative justice as well. So as I mentioned last week, conventional wisdom is that the full legalization bill really isn't going anywhere in this deeply divided Senate. Could be wrong, hope I'm wrong, but I think that's the reality. What we're really hoping for, though, is that this gets us closer to legalization down the road and safe banking before that. So I'm seeing this as a positive development, and we'll see how it goes. Hey, quick question for you. Are you liking what you're hearing from the business of Kush? If so, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or rating us on Spotify. Now, both platforms make it super easy to do. In fact, with Spotify, you just click the number of stars you want and you're done. Super easy. The reason I mention this is positive reviews are nice, love to have them, love to read them on the air. But what they really do is help us get this podcast in front of more listeners in our community. So feel free to rate and review away and feel free to share this with others who you think would enjoy it. And also just one last reminder, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. And all of them are at bizofkush. So let's connect. And with that, we're done for this week. Thanks again for investing some of your time listening this week. I know there's a lot of information out there, so we'll continue to do our best to serve this community by bringing you the right stuff so that you can keep growing and keep growing. Look forward to you joining us again next week. We'll see you. You've been listening to The Business of Kush, the podcast for cannabis business owners, investors, and industry insiders. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast. It's easy to do by clicking on that subscribe button or follow button. And you can also follow us on social media at at Biz of Kush or visit us on the web at www.thegreenleafcpa.com forward slash listen. We'll catch you in the next episode. And thanks again for listening to The Business of Kush.